Amen. Thank you, Walter, for helping us prepare. Well, with our consciences clean, receiving afresh the forgivenesses of God, tasting it again, we look now to the book of Titus for one last time. This morning, we finished the book of Titus in our series where we have found a formula for a healthy church. And I've said it many times, you may be tired of hearing it by now, and if so, rejoice. This is the last time you have to hear it. Healthy leadership plus healthy Christians equals a healthy church. As part of our emphasis on building a healthy church here, we have looked there and we have found so much blessing and wisdom. Today we look at two last marks of a healthy Christian community. And I must say, two marks that our church is very much known for, and it's just so much fun to get to proclaim to you and say together, this is a work that God has done here. These are two things that he's made our church pretty good at, and that's so fun. However, two things that are really tough to do right now as a church, and that is the eagerness that Christian communities have to help those in need, that's number one, and then the warm greetings that Christian communities give to each other. These are both things that you guys have a long history of doing. For decades now, when someone was in need, this church jumped to help them. For decades now, when somebody walked through the door, they just get swarmed. Whether they are old or new, they just get swarmed with love and affection. Two marks that God has put on this community that make the place smell like the gospel. But right now, it's so hard to do them, and that is so frustrating for many of us. I know a lot of you feel like you're sitting on your hands because you can't shake hands and hug the people you want to shake hands with and hug with, right? And here we are, we're about to hear a sermon on warm Christian greetings, and then when this is done, we are going to get up one at a time and walk out the door without touching each other and making sure we stand six feet apart from each other. There's, there's weird irony here this morning, and I just want you to know that's not lost on me. But I think in God's kind providence to just kind of land us on a text like this in a time like this, there is great work that he might be doing, uh, several things he might be doing. For one thing, those of you that are younger, you need to know about the legacy of generosity and warm greetings that is being handed to you if you are part of this church and are joining this church. It's something that you're stepping into and need to take the mantle of yourself. For another thing, I think it will reveal a bit of why our church has grown in recent times and what the Spirit has been doing. And then finally, perhaps most importantly for us, it will help us to remember that we can't take a break from these things when it's harder to do them. Even in weird times like this, we've still got to be known as people who are quick to help those in need and people who are eager to give warm greetings to others. So let's look then for the last time at the book. We're in chapter 3, and I'm going to start at verse 12. We'll read the last four verses of the book, verses 12 through 15. Here are the words of the Lord. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I've decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help in cases of urgent need and not to be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. The words of the Lord. What we have in these closing verses of this letter 
There's two marks of a healthy Christian community. And those two marks, again, are eagerness to help those in urgent need and warm Christian greetings befitting of brothers and sisters in the community of God. Helpfulness and greetings, two marks of an excellent Christian community. And again, what I pray the Lord will do through it is remind us not to hit pause on those things during hard times like this. Affirm for us some of how the Spirit of God has grown our church recently. And for those of you who are young and new here, uh, an open eyes to the legacy that you are stepping into in this church. But before we get there, verse 12 kind of has an aside for us because verse 12 tells us something about the story of Titus that we haven't talked much about before. It kind of gives us an ending to the story and lets us realize why Titus's work was so urgent. Now, I'll tell you the story first. I've told it a few times. This may be the last time for a while you hear it. Paul and Titus were missionaries that were traveling together. Paul the master, Titus the apprentice. They traveled many places together. They preached the gospel. When people came to Christ, they would plant churches there, and then they would leave the church and go on to another place and preach the gospel again. This pattern over and over again. They come to the island of Crete, and they probably find in Crete that there were some churches already there. Uh, we wonder about that because there were people from Crete at Pentecost who came to Christ, and they must have gone back home and founded churches there. So probably already churches in Crete when they get there. And probably they sowed the seed of the gospel some more and probably planted some more churches. But one way or another, the end game was they got to the point where there were plenty of churches in Crete, but they were not mature churches. They hadn't been set in order yet. It was baby Christians who had just come to Christ and didn't know how to live out the gospel and no indigenous pastors or leaders there to care for them. Churches that couldn't stand on their own. So when it came time for Paul to leave, he said, Titus, I need to leave you here and I need you to bring these churches up to maturity. Paul left and sometime later he wrote Titus this letter with all of those instructions on how to bring those baby churches to maturity. Now, we see how he did it in two ways. The first one is in chapter 1, verse 5, which says, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town just as I directed you. This is the theme of chapter one and why healthy leaders is half of the formula here. Half of Titus's job was to appoint multiple pastor elders in that role there in the churches in Crete, multiple in each town, so that there could be healthy, holy, godly men. They had to be trustworthy men. They had to, be, they had to make sure they weren't false teachers, keep the false teachers out of it. That's the content of chapter one. Uh, appoint elders in every church. Then we get to chapter two and verse one, of chapter 2 says, but as for you, Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. So in addition to raising up those elders that would serve, he needed to teach the gospel and the lifestyle that went along with the gospel. That is the theme of chapter 2. It's constant back and forth of the content of the gospel and the lifestyle the gospel leads to. So all of the particulars of what that looks like, that's what he goes through in chapter 2. So those are the two parts of Titus's job. Appoint healthy leadership, train the Christians there in the healthy gospel-based Christian life. Now we come to the end of the story in chapter 3, verse 12. 
Paul was going to send someone, he doesn't know who yet, Artemis or Tychicus, one or the other, and he says, when I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I've decided to spend the winter there. Now we learn why it was so urgent for Titus to spend his ministry investing in other people, training pastors up and putting them in the role, teaching the Christians how to live according to sound doctrine. It was so urgent because the day was coming soon, probably before winter, if he could, when he was going to leave. And there would be relief, either from Artemis or Tychicus, but neither of these men presumably would have the relationship with these people that Titus had and the ability to keep these churches together the way that Titus did. And so the churches were going to have to be in a place where they were stronger. There is a principle for ministry here that all of us need to see and need to embrace. Titus would not be at his post forever, and so he had to invest in others so that others could do the work after he was gone. The same is true for any of us who hold any position or do any work in our church, including myself. We will not be at our post forever. And so we must invest in others who can do the work after we are gone. If you are part of a committee, Titus sets an example for you here. If you serve as a deacon, he sets an example for you. If you work on our building or teach in Sunday school or work with our children or any of the many things that some of you do in our church family, this is a principle that holds true for you. I don't know what the date is and you don't know what the date is, but there will come a day when you are not at your post anymore. But I bet you still want the job to be done well after that day, don't you? How do you make sure that happens now? You follow Titus's example and begin investing in others who can do the work after you. Any of us who serve, including me, must do this. We must invest in others as we do our work. I'll leave that there because it's hidden underneath that verse and we have more pressing things to talk about, but let's just take that as one principle from these verses. Like Titus, we must invest in others because none of us will be at our post forever. Let's move into the main content of the day. We start with verse 13. Paul ends this letter with instructions on receiving some guys who are going through and some instructions on helping others who are in urgent need and then the usual greetings that we find there. We look first at verse 13. Here he says, do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way and see that they lack nothing. There is a wordplay in these verses that puts some emphasis to it. Several ways Paul is emphasizing, Titus, when these missionaries come, you gotta take good care of them. A couple of things. First, he says, do your best, and then later on kind of repeats it and says, see that they lack nothing. You can see this emphasis, like you gotta take really good care of these guys, Titus. There's also a neat uh, Greek word play that you can kind of see in the English if you look for it. You can notice in verse 13, you see, do your best, and then the word speed, do your best to speed. Now in the original, the word speed sounds almost identical to the word send. Now go back to verse 12, and you see when I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis. So we got this fun little pattern. Send, do your best, 
do your best to send, right? This little poetic thing that Paul is doing here. Just a little flourish, a little beauty he's adding here, and his point is to emphasize, Titus, do your absolute best to take care of these missionaries who come through. This is, this is like that, uh, that football or basketball coach that just kept irritating you by saying, I want 110%, right? I don't know how many of you were just tired of hearing that for your coach. I can't give 110 I only have 100% to give. Stop saying that, right? That's a little bit of what Paul was doing here. He's emphasizing, take really good care of these missionaries. Zenos was a lawyer who did much for the sake of the gospel. Apollos was a very eloquent man who would get up and speak so eloquently and beautifully for the sake of the gospel. They were coming through Titus, presumably on their way to somewhere else, probably carrying this very letter with them in their hands and handing it to Titus before they received all of this blessing. And Titus had to make sure that these guys lacked nothing when they got there. What can we get from that? What can we learn about that? Well, this is in keeping with the larger pattern in the scriptures, which is that God sends his holy servants into really vulnerable situations. They're traveling, there's persecution, they're moving constantly, they're always in a vulnerable state, it seems like, and he relies on his own people to open their hearts and open their doors to those traveling ministers. For 2,000 years now, that's how we've taken care of traveling missionaries. We've opened our doors to them because God has opened our hearts to do this. This pattern begins in Matthew chapter 10. And if you've got your Bibles, I invite you to turn there with me. It begins when Jesus sends out his 12 disciples, who he calls apostles here, sends them out on one of their early missionary journeys. They are to go out, they are to heal, they are to preach the gospel, and then they are to come back to Jesus for a while. And we won't read the whole thing. I don't want to spend a ton of time on it, but you can see some of the themes at just a glance. He kind of says things to them like in chapter 10, verse 16, behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as does, right? I'm sending you as vulnerable sheep, into really dangerous scenarios, right? You're gonna be traveling on the road and get mugged. You're gonna go over here and there's gonna be persecution. You're gonna go here and you're gonna run out of food. You're gonna face hunger. I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Then he says, don't fear the people who are after you. Fear only God. He warns again that he comes not to bring peace, but a sword. There's often a gospel divide between people who love it and people who hate it. And finally, let's stop at verse 40 where he talks about the reward that those who will receive them and open their doors receive. Now remember the theme is they're sent into scary places, vulnerable situations, and God opens the hearts of his people to open their doors to them. That's how he cares for missionaries. Verse 40 says, whoever receives you, receives me. Whoever receives me, receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he's a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. The one who receives a righteous person because he's a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. So when God opens the heart of his people to open their doors and care for these traveling ministers, these moving ministers, he then rewards those people richly for it. 
Sometimes I think of the missionaries I know who are on the field and bringing the gospel to places where it's never been before, and I think, man, their reward must be so much greater than mine. Can you imagine the reward of being the first person to bring the gospel to a new area, especially under the threat of persecution? How rich they are going to be in heaven. And Jesus says right here, well, if you're supporting them because they're a missionary, you're getting a missionary's reward for that. Those of you that give from your pockets to missionaries overseas or give to those who come through here, you're storing up reward for yourself in heaven. So many examples of this. Sometimes a traveling pastor comes through and it'll be my job to arrange for a hotel or one of your guest rooms for them and I'll take them out to dinner and do that. Those of you that participate in that, right? Let's say that, uh, let's say we bring a visiting pastor in and I'm not going to be here. So I call one of you and I say, Hey, can you open up your guest bedroom to this visiting preacher? And you're like, Oh yeah, I'd love that. So you bring him in there and then you realize, Oh man, we're going to have to cook dinner for him. That's, that's going to cost a little bit of money. Right. And, uh, Oh, there's not enough blankets on the guest bed. So we got to run to Walmart real fast, buy a blanket and then come back in. By the end of this, you spent like a hundred bucks, you know, as much as a hotel room would cost, you've spent hosting this person. Right. What Jesus is saying here is if you are doing that because they are a traveling servant of God, you're getting reward for their work, right? If you do that because that person is a traveling missionary, you get a missionary's reward. You spend a hundred bucks doing something like that. That's like 10,000 heaven dollars in the first bank of heaven that's waiting for you when you get there. Rich reward, he says, if all you had given them was a cup of cold water, you would not lose the reward for that. Jesus loves it when we open up our homes to people. He loves it when we give honorariums to guest speakers. He loves it when missionaries come to town and we give them the microphone and they stand up here and they tell you what they do and you guys just just throw checks and money at them. We say, here, just, let's lavish you with everything we can. The Lord loves that. And for every bit of that you have done, I just want you to see here, you will not lose reward in heaven if you stick with the faith. So stick to Jesus and expect great reward coming there. I'll give you one example of this that just amazes me. When we moved here, some of you know what moving is like, right? And it's just, it's vulnerable. It's difficult. We moved here. uh, I came here in February. uh, Family got here in March. And as soon as they all got here in March, uh, I got this thing on my desk that Karen asked me to write down, what are your favorite groceries that your family buys? And I was like, what's going on here? So I just answered the questions, right? And then you guys drug us up into the fellowship hall and you guys filled not just our pantry, but like our cupboards and our garage. And like we had extra rooms in our house that were just full of groceries. You guys had bought us so that the moment we landed here, we would be just full of great things. And that was a year and a half ago. This week, Emily went out in the garage and she grabbed a thing of vegetable oil out of the shelf on the garage. And she came back in and she said, all right, this is the last of it. It lasted a year and a half, guys. Y'all gave us a year and a half of non-perishables when we moved here. That, to me, is one of those overwhelming examples of make sure that person who's on the road and moving lacks nothing. And I just want you to know that if, if you threw some Nutella at us on that day, I just believe on faith there's something better than Nutella in heaven. I have a hard time imagining anything better, but I believe there's something better in heaven and you've got tubs of it waiting for you in heaven. That's the kind of stuff that Jesus is saying. When we take care of those kind of people, great reward for it. So with that being the bigger theme, we go back to the text now 
And when Paul is telling Titus, hey, these two guys are coming through, make sure that they lack nothing. You can see this is part of a broader theme in the church. This is how we constantly act. That is where we get our traditions of taking care of missionaries when they come through, taking care of visiting pastors, taking a new pastor upstairs and throwing all kinds of groceries at them. That's where we get that stuff and we don't lose a reward for it. So there we find one point, and it's just very simply that the Lord gives the honor of caring for traveling ministers to his people. If you get a chance to do it, jump at it just like Titus did. Titus had been the traveler, now he was the host. If you get to play host, jump at it because there's great reward there. That's the first principle. Now there, the instruction was just given to Titus, and it was just about those missionaries. But what we're gonna notice now in verse 14 is that what was specific is now brought out general and broad. Let's look at verse 14 together. So not only do Zenos and Apollos need to be taken care of by Titus, but verse 14, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help in cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. So it's not just that Titus has got to care for these two guys, but all the people of God need to care for any case of urgent need. And we need to learn to care for any case of urgent need. And we see there some words that are picked up on earlier. We see the word unfruitful, which we mentioned that earlier. We saw that in last week's text. And also the phrase devoted to good works. Now, if we notice that concept, the concept of fruitfulness, and we notice this phrase, uh, devoting themselves to good work. Okay, go back to verse eight, and you're gonna see this saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. There's that phrase again, right? And then the concept of fruitfulness comes. These things are excellent and profitable for people. So Paul isn't repeating the whole idea again, but he is hitting at something he has said before. Those who believe in the gospel, these sorts of things mark their lives, right? When you trust in the good news of Jesus, changes you, makes you a new person, you become the kind of person who, his point here is, wants to help other people in their needs. So the same gospel theme, the same us doing this is built on our belief in the gospel. That same theme is here as well. That means our eagerness to help somebody who is in need right now is built on our faith in the gospel. If your heart hears about people that have lost their jobs in this season and it just leaps and says, what, what can I do? I want to help. What can I do? Why, why, why is your heart like that? Why have you learned to be like that? Well, because you were deeply in need and the Lord leapt at the chance to help you. That's the root of our love for helping others. Whatever urgent needs any of us have, there either is now or there was once a much more urgent need. And that is that we were speeding toward hell like an Indy car speeding toward a brick wall. And when the Lord saw us in that urgent situation, saw where we were headed, where we were bringing ourselves while we're singing ACDC songs about it, he says, no, 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 not them, right? No, I will, I will stop this. My heart is to stop this. I will punish my son instead of them. And I will give them a new heart and turn the car around and bring it back toward 
me. That was God's heart toward us when we were in urgent need. And so it makes sense that the new heart that he gives us is gonna be the same way toward other people that have urgent needs. We're gonna be, oh man, well, I'm there. What can I do to help? Why? Because God's given us a heart that looks like him. This is part of the beauty of a gospel-centered community. We know how in need we were and how much God helped us, and we are quick to help others in cases of urgent need. At the same time, this is a concept that can maybe make your heart ache right now. Um, because I know almost all of you personally, I know how quick you are to want to help people in need. And I hear the same thing multiple times. I wanna help people right now, but we're all so disconnected that I don't, I, I know there are people who have lost their jobs, but who are they? I don't know, I, I wanna help them and I can't find them. How do I help the people who are in need? I got a phone call this week from a man who, he called me because he knew I was a pastor and he thought I would know somebody. Uh, and he just said, you know, I've, I've been home alone all year. I'm not getting out. I hardly know anybody anymore, but God's blessed me financially. I really wanna help somebody who is really, really in need. And I, it just almost with tears that I don't know anybody. Like, I'm so disconnected. I don't know how to help people who are in need right now. And he's calling me to ask me, do I know anybody that he can help? He's not alone. A lot of you guys feel that way. You want to help somebody, but you're so, everything's so disconnected and distant right now. You don't know what to do. On top of that, the spirit of the age puts this burden on us that you have to be the one to end world hunger and end global poverty. And you could, you could do so much for somebody and yet there would still be so much suffering and you might still feel guilty over that because you didn't save the whole world. The spirit of the age could be crushing in that way. Well, the instruction here is really helpful for that. We have to learn to devote ourselves to good works and helping those who are in urgent need. It may not come naturally to you, you may have to learn how to do it, but no matter the situation, we must find a way to help those who are in need. We don't have to save the world, but we do probably know some people who are in need, and we gotta help them. If you're one of those people who your heart is just like this, but you're like, what do I do? I'm so tense right now because I wanna help somebody, I don't know what to do. If you're one of those people, let me just give you some practical advice. Uh, first, if you look at all the cases around you, you may find somebody who is in need. Uh, for instance, if you know a missionary or support a missionary uh, yourself, you know, individually, there's a pretty good chance that missionary has had a, a support cut or a funding cut this year. And if you called them with your credit card or your checkbook ready, like God's been good to you this year, he gave you extra, you call them, you say, hey, just be honest with you, what's support like this year? Have you, have you had a cut? Do you need help? and you're ready to help them, you will make that person's month by calling. Maybe people are coming to your mind. Maybe there are some people you need to call. Uh, there are a few people I know who could use some help. If you want to, you can call me behind the scenes and I'll help you with that. If there's no one in your immediate circle, you can't, you're looking for a case of need, but you can't find it, I think the best do, thing to do is to turn your eyes to the international crisis right now. Things are bad for some people here. They are worse for more people overseas. Uh, could you imagine this crisis in Somalia, where the country is basically run by pirates? Can you imagine how bad this would be there? When the vaccine comes, how on earth are they going to distribute it with all of the corruption there? The third world is in a worse scenario than we are right now. 
And so there are organizations like Compassion International, Samaritan's Purse, uh, all kinds of organizations like this that are just helping. That's all, that's all they do. Samaritan's Purse built a massive tent hospital in Central Park when New York was in the thick of all of this. And they're on to other works now, now that the, the plague has made it past New York. Many of them you can reach out to. One of them is actually our Lottie Moon Christmas offering we're about to give. Uh, that's a significant a part of the funding that goes to the International Mission Board every year. It will almost certainly be less this year than it was in the past. If you want to help in a case of urgent need, that is one of them. So that's my advice to you. Look around you closely to find someone to help. If you can't find anybody, there is need overseas that you can help. If you did well this year, let this be the year that you go extra to help others. But as I say that, don't forget the reason. Let, let the reason warm your heart. God saw you in need and reached out to you. And he didn't do that to make you feel guilty when you see other people in need. He did that because he wanted to, because he loved you. That's why your heart beats with a desire to help people who are in need. All right, we move on to our last point then. The letter ends with greetings that are so common in Paul's letter that it's kind of tempting to skip over it and just forget about it. Uh, it's a short sentence or two, but it is part of a big biblical theme that we need to look at and we need to talk about. It's the theme of Christians giving really warm greetings to each other through letters, in person. The church has just always been a people that are really warm in their greetings toward each other. You see that pattern in the book of Acts. There are at least five times I found this week when I looked where somebody is either going somewhere or leaving somewhere, but not without finding the church and giving them warm greetings and Luke makes sure to record it so we know how warm and wonderful the greetings were. So many of the letters end with greetings like this. And then we find one right here. Now the biggest one of these that I just want you to see if you have your Bible in front of you is in Romans 16. If you would turn there with me. The 16th and last chapter of Romans is almost entirely greetings like this. It is a veritable Christmas card list of greetings. So big that we're not gonna read it right now. I just want you to see how big that chapter is and just scan it real fast. You can see how many times the word greet is in there, how many names are there. Paul is full of people he wants to greet at Rome and people who send them greetings. And you want to know the crazy thing? Paul had never been to Rome. How did he know all these people in Rome that he wanted to say hi to and all these people that wanted to say hi to the people in Rome just because of that warmth and that strong Christian network that has existed from the first century all the way to now? He does this for many verses, and then in verse 16, you see a command. Greet one another with a holy kiss, it says. That's Romans 16, verse 16. So this isn't just something that Paul does. He actually tells us we need to do it, right? We need to greet each other warmly. The holy kiss was a, a sort of religious greeting that people gave to each other in the first century. The equivalent today might be like our handshake time in the worship service or just some really warm, like we are brother and sister. And I'm showing you that with how we are interacting right now. Some kind of warm, wonderful greeting that we are meant to give our brothers and sisters, especially when we see each other here where we meet together. 
He has said before that the gospel should lead to brotherly affection between all of us, right? When, when God makes you brothers and sisters, you just have a warm heart for each other. You're just glad to see each other. You guys show that every Sunday when you're glad to see each other. Well, if God saved you and made you a son in his house and then saved your friend and made her a son in his house and both of us have a great inheritance stored up and we're forgiven and we've got a seat at the table, man, there's just something awesome when God makes you brother and sister like that and it just makes you want to greet each other. Rooted in that comes the warm Christian greetings that we give each other. I'll give you an example of this. One of our big things Emily and I have been doing in our house recently is our computers and our phones, we each have a phone and a computer, and they're all four barking at us all the time saying, you have taken too many pictures and videos and I am full, please stop taking pictures of your, your stuff, they ever notify you like that? They're doing this all the time and constantly we're having to delete stuff. So we are going back now, going through our backlog of each of us have 10,000 photos and 1,000 videos, two separate, so 20,000 and 2,000 total. We're going through deleting all of them. And so like three hours of my weekend was going through the thousand videos that are on my computer of, you know, my kids giggling when they were two and stuff like this. And just all that fatherhood emotion was just coming back. My kids haven't been babies for about three years now. And there I am just watching a video and little baby Sarah is just cackling and giggling and my heart's like, oh, that's so, delete, boom, done, right? And then uh, three-year-old Josiah saying, hi, mommy, I love you, I can't wait for you to come, boom, delete, right? Like, just no space for all this stuff, we're deleting this stuff. And eventually we get to, about five years ago, uh, the day when we told the big three that their baby sister was on the way and they were gonna have a baby sister. We took them to this big park and they're all playing around there and I, uh, I started the video and got down and Emily said, all right, kids, you know, come, come around. And she's talking to him and said, oh, do you guys love being brothers and sisters? Oh yeah, we love that. Haven't you told me so many times that you would love to have a baby brother or a baby sister? Yeah, that would be awesome. Well, guess what? And she dropped the news on him that she had a baby in her tummy. And oh, if I showed you this video, it would steal the show. You'd forget everything that I told you this morning. Just, they just burst with joy. So happy, screaming at the top. They're so thrilled that they've got a baby brother or baby sister coming. It was so sweet, I almost didn't delete the video. I'm kidding. I didn't delete the video. It was sweet, though, and wonderful. And it says something about how great it is to have a brother or sister brought into your family, right? It's a big deal to have a brother or sister. And it makes kids just jump with joy when they find out about it. And when that little baby was born, they came there with their little drawings and cards and welcome baby sister, welcome baby Anna, we love you so much, and gave them to her. They were thrilled to welcome that girl in the family. That's the kind of joy and love that being brothers and sisters in the gospel gives to us. A joy that says, God, God didn't just save me. He brought that person in the family too. This is, he doesn't stop. He's relentless saving people. Oh, so happy, so warm. That's the kind of greetings that we give each other doing this. So the point then again is that if you follow Jesus, one of the ways that you show that is with warm greetings that you give to other people who follow Jesus. We're brother and sister, and that's how we do. 
Now, this point is also kind of like the last one in that some of you, this is like your favorite part of church, right? Handshake time is your favorite time. Like some of you hug each other constantly when you're coming in. And here we are now and you can't do those things and it's disappointing to you. Maybe even frustrating to hear a sermon about how great it is, but not be able to live it out in the way that you like. If that's you, I just, I just want to give two words to you from this text, two ways I think that the Lord may speak to you from this text. First, that desire and impulse in you to greet people, that's not wrong, right? During these weird times, you can't do it, and you have to hear all the time that you can't do it. But it's possible that Satan may try to whisper a little lie in your ear and make you feel bad for the fact that you want to shake people's hands. No, don't feel bad about that. It's okay to long for the day when this is over, when we can shake hands and we can hug each other again. I can't wait for that day. So be affirmed in that first and see the source of it in the gospel. Secondly, this is a time where you can't greet people the way that you're used to doing it. But you absolutely have the power to send greetings to people right now and they need to hear them. If you've got a phone and you've got a contact list on that phone, there are people whose names are in your phone that if you hit the button and call them, you might be the only voice they hear that day in this strange time. If there was ever a year to go home on a Sunday afternoon and just call four friends and talk to them, that this is the year to do that. That's not the way you may be used to greeting people, but you can do that and just say, hey, just call in to say, hey, how you doing? This is the kind of year to once a week sit down and just send friendly texts to 10, 15 friends at the same time because people are so lonely right now and need these greetings. This is the year, if you do Christmas cards, this is the year to take an extra day out of your life and sit down and write a paragraph with your hand to every single one of those people who gets a card from you because that may be the only custom built message they get that whole day or that whole week. In a season of loneliness like this, let the people of God be the ones who step up and say, we will greet each other. We will make sure that everyone here feels at home here. So though you can't greet people the way you want to, don't miss the fact that you still can and must greet people. There are some of you, though, who are secretly enjoying the break from all of this handshaking. I know some of you out there are like this, the secret introverts among us who never really liked all of that physical touch and affection that went on. I know you're out there, and I do want to speak to you a little bit from the very same text. First, know that warm greetings don't have to be physically affection. You don't have to be a hugger if you don't want to be a hugger. Don't let anybody let you feel bad about that. But there is a clear pattern here of warm greetings. So if you're the kind of person who's just not physical in your greetings of people, uh, my advice to you looking at a text like this and a pattern like this of warm greetings is find a warm way that you can greet every person you see here. Maybe it's just a big smile or maybe it's just body language that says, oh, so glad to see you. you can say with the way you stand and with the way you look at people, I love you. I'm happy to see you. Look for that, and I think you'll be in a good place. Let me also say that I do hope for you, if, if you're like that, a lot of people are like this. I'm like this in a lot of ways. I do hope for you, though, if you're one of those people who doesn't love all that handshaking and all that physical affection, nothing wrong with that, but my prayer for you is that eventually these warm people around you will wear you down a little bit. Someone will shake your hand really hard and you'll say, actually, that was kind of nice. 
I don't want to admit it, but that was kind of, my hope is that things like that will happen for you because what I want for you is to walk in these doors and feel that handshake and just know, not just with your ears and with your eyes, but just feel it in your hand that you have a place here. And when you come in here, people shake your hand because they love you. I want you to feel that with your body in just that small way with things like that. So I do hope that the warmth of the people around you wears you down a little bit. We'll leave that one at that. There's the instruction from the Lord today. And with it, I think, a window into how our church has grown a bit recently. Um, In recent years, people have walked in and the people that walk in the doors tend to stick around for a while. It tends to be how it goes. And much of that, I think, comes from the spirit of God's work through your obedience to texts like this one. And here's what I mean. The idea here is the truths of the gospel, right? God saving you leads to a different lifestyle. And part of that lifestyle is warm greeting and eager helpfulness for other people. That means that when you do those things, you're showing people that the gospel is real. You're giving credibility to the gospel that's preached here. And so imagine the experience of someone new who walks in and in normal times, they get just over the top, almost embarrassing greetings at the door. And keep doing that, by the way. I'm not making fun of you by saying it's embarrassing. They get a big greeting at the door. Then they go to a Sunday school class. They get a big greeting in the Sunday school class. And people are asking them all kinds of questions about their name and who they are. And then the word is opened and the gospel is taught from the scriptures. And then they come in here and they get greeted again and then the gospel is taught again from the scriptures and then they get greeted again on the way out the door. Can you see how us acting in the gospel by greeting them confirms the truth of the teaching? The preaching that I give up here, strong or weak, is made stronger because you guys live it out at the door and welcome people into the door. You give more credibility to your Sunday school teacher's teaching when you welcome people in like this and when you're eager to help in cases of urgent need. I think that's what's been going on here. I think that's why the Lord is bringing more people into our church because this is a people that doesn't just want to hear the gospel. They want to live it out. Let's keep doing that as we move forward, church. With that, we close the book of Titus and we move into Advent from Isaiah 40 next year. And as we do, we've got a choice to make. I've heard many of you say, this series has helped me so much. I have such a better picture of what a healthy church looks like now. It's so good for us. And I'm glad you feel that way. The choice before us now is, do we want to revel in it and say, that's great? Or are we going to do it? Are we going to live in these principles? Are our older men going to find younger men to teach the gospel to? Are we going to raise up godly leaders in our church? Continue to do so. We have lots of godly leaders. Continue to raise up more godly leaders. Are we going to apply the principles of church health that we have found here? If we do this, guys, I see so little that could stop us. A strong, healthy church. With that comes the slow and steady growth that allows a church to flourish over the years. So that's my final plea to you. If we will apply the principles in this book, I see good health in our future and I see good things in our future. Why? Because Jesus' ways are good. So let's resolve that we'll follow him. Let's pray together.